Hey guys, it's Dawn. If you would like to hear the How My Parents Raised Me podcast ad-free, and if you would like access to subscriber-only episodes, join me in the What's the Truth community. You can join via the Apple Podcast app. There's a link right there in the app. Or go to whatsthetruth.supercast.com. Links are in the show notes. Don't miss out on all the extra content I'm sharing. I can't wait to see you over there. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I didn't entirely know what I was doing at the time. This was over 10 years ago. I was experimenting because I was desperate. I was at the place where I think I was like 80 something pounds. All the treatments I was doing for Lyme disease were failing. I couldn't eat anything. I was allergic to everything. I just didn't really have a great quality of life. And so I remember I was just, I was like, I wonder if I just, you know, I can't really move a lot right now, but what would happen if I just sort of wiggled my toes and try and get a little bit of more blood flow in my system. I was feeling really depressed because living in New York City and I can't go walking around anywhere and it's very depressing. So I was like, okay, but what can I do? What can I do from this bed? <laughs> I can wiggle my toes. Welcome to How My Parents Raised Me. I'm Dawn Chitty. When we are born, we arrive here as pure and perfect souls. And the direction our life takes from that moment is deeply connected to what our parents bring to our lives. And what our parents bring to our lives is deeply connected to what their parents brought to their lives. And that's the cycle of families. I have always craved connection with real and raw stories to understand what makes you, you. What makes you the absolutely unique human that you are. Stories are medicine for the soul. They can connect us and they can change the world. And so in this podcast, I'm listening to beautiful souls sharing their story, what happened to them, how they got through, and how they have healed and thrived despite everything to arrive right here in this moment. Content warning, if you are triggered by the themes of this podcast, please seek a helpline in your city. 
Hey, my beautiful friend, if you suffer from anxiety and are sick of all the ways it's taking over your life, please take a look at Panic Away. For over 10 years now, Panic Away has been showing people how to break anxious patterns and get their old carefree self back, the person they were before anxiety ruled their life. Panic Away shows you how to break the anxiety loop and it gives your nervous system a chance to relax. It's totally drug-free and highly successful and it helps people with all levels of anxiety. Panic Away comes with a full money-back guarantee so you really have nothing to lose and everything to gain. It's time to take back control of your life, your happiness and your freedom. A life free of anxiety is like living an entirely different life. Click the link in the show notes for access to Panic Away. Hello, my beautiful friends, it's Dawn and welcome back to the podcast. I have an amazing guest chatting with me this week. Jamie McCoy is a psychotherapist and trauma coach and she went through many years of trauma as a child. Jamie describes herself as the scapegoat of her family. Her father and sister were both physically, verbally, and emotionally abusive, and her mother was avoidant. Jamie's older sister was the golden child, and Jamie felt isolated and alone, and that trauma led to so many health issues, including disordered eating. And Jamie ended up literally bedridden with brain fog, chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, and eventually receiving a diagnosis of Lyme disease. Jamie speaks about lying in that bed in chronic unwellness and deciding that she needed to heal herself. And she started that process by wiggling her toes. That was her very first step back to wellness. This week's episode is really important because it is all about healing trauma through healing your nervous system. Trauma can affect us from our earliest days as a baby and impacts the nervous system, which affects our immune function and our digestive system. It can affect the connections our brain is supposed to make as we grow. Jamie is an absolute wealth of information on this topic. So please join me now for Jamie's story. Jamie, you are a psychotherapist and you help people go from sick and triggered to physically and emotionally resilient by working with the nervous system. You are a holistic licensed clinical social worker and you have a program called the Nervous System Reset, which we will chat about soon. But first, I know you have your own story of growing up in a traumatic home. What do you remember as a very young child? Was there love and connection there with your mum and dad? Yeah, I mean, that's such a great question and often something not a lot of people always connect to. Well, I didn't have it so bad, so it's not a trauma that I experienced in my home, though I had a combination of being a very sick child and not having parents who really knew what to do with that. And then there was there was a lot of chaos in the home and yelling 
and some abuse that was going on where I felt like my needs weren't really being addressed, but I think a lot of the chronic illness I experienced was as a result of not having that attunement, which we know now how intricately connected it is with your physiology. If you don't get that attunement and care and nourishment from your primary caregivers, it shapes how your immune system functions and obviously your nervous system functions, which runs all your bodily processes. So I know that now, but back then, it was a lot of sickness, a lot of like my body expressing that it needed care and didn't quite get it. Wow. I love that description. You know, it's so true, isn't it? I remember mm-hmm. being quite unwell as a, a little kid too. And it is, it is so connected with that nervous system. And so your relationship with your mother, what was that like between you? Because I know you've described her as being avoidant. Yeah. You know, because there was, my father was the more dominant person in the relationship, very much had the power and control. My sister was very much the golden child and I was more of the scapegoat. My mother was more of an enabler and avoidant and didn't really want to have to face up to my father. So if the dynamic in the household was, I just didn't feel like I was protected by her. Although she's not a bad person, she's a lovely, warm person. And I do think she really wanted to be there, but she would get yelled at herself. And so she just wasn't able to be emotionally available. And now that I know what I know now, she was really dissociating for a lot of that time to protect herself. It was very painful and uncomfortable for her to witness her children being you know, treated the way that they were or being in a household that they were in. And so I think it's just a typical thing when someone doesn't have the resources and doesn't know what to do, they're coping the best they can. But the side effect of that is I didn't really get the kind of support that I would have hoped to have had from my mother yeah, as a, when, I was younger, when I was younger. Yeah, I totally, totally understand that. And what about your dad? What was he like? He was obviously struggling a lot himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, at a young age, I figured out just intergenerational trauma and the effects that that has. And I remember trying to figure out why was my father yelling all the time and so abusive and one might label him a narcissist and trying to figure out why is he the way that he was. And I remember tracing it back to his mother and just looking at the family dynamics there where he didn't get the care and support that he needed. And so it sort of trickled down on me. And so with him, I would often try to confront him and try to figure out how can we change this dynamic, but that would just make him more angry because no one really wants to hear the truth teller in the family dynamics when everybody's trying to avoid that and let's just kind of skip over that, it's too uncomfortable. And so it just never went over very well with me trying to connect in that way with my father until I realized you can't really change or fix another person in that way. I had to really deal with acceptance in myself and figure out how was I gonna care for myself as I got older. Yeah, I I love that actually because I haven't heard that very much that that a child actually sees you know that there are issues and tries to connect and and tries to change that. That's quite interesting that you had that sort of insight at a young age. Yeah, I mean I think it came from this deep need to like where you want to survive as a child you're trying to figure out how can I survive? Well, if I could figure out all of these things that are going wrong and fix that, then I can get the care I need. And that's what I think happens with a lot of children that end up becoming people pleasers, where you're trying to modulate everybody else's emotions. And if they're okay, then I can be okay. 
And it's, it's really a brilliant survival mechanism that I think we all have innately. We're not always conscious of it, but it was something that I just remember I, I wanted to study and eventually, you know, I became a therapist because I was so fascinated with these dynamics. Why does this happen? But I genuinely just wanted the pain to stop. And I figured I noticed patterns. I just recognized patterns because I had a lot of that hypervigilance and really having to be on the lookout on high alert. So I was studying everyone's behavior all the time. And then you pick up the patterns and you're like, well, maybe since I'm noticing these things, we can, we can shift that. I can break it. And that's sort of where that came from in my mind. Um, oh, interesting. And you were like a little psychotherapist in the yeah. making. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I think a lot of us get into this work to try and figure out like what happened, what happened in my own experience, what yeah. happened, right? 100%. And you just described your sister as the golden child. What was your relationship like between you and your sister? Yeah, I mean, she was, she was quite volatile with her moods as well. She's very similar to my father. My father and her were sort of buddies. And so it was more like a bullying type of relationship. So I would desperately want to have that connection with my sister. She's a year and a half older. And I wanted that kind of protection from a big sister. But I never quite got that. It was more like, go away. We don't want you here. And she sort of mimicked any behavior she saw from my father. And so it just be kind of like the apple not falling far from the tree and just ended up repeating patterns that my dad was doing towards me. And was emotionally and physically violent for quite a while and ended up actually having troubles of her own that I see as a result of the family dynamics, because even though the golden child might be favored, they still have their own issues as a result of dysfunctional family patterns. And so she ended up getting into drugs at a pretty young age. And yeah. so it's not very easy to connect with her. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's obviously, it's a chaotic home and people are not coping. And, you know, her being a golden child is is really her way of kind of managing that, isn't it? Like she's she's figured out if she's this particular person in this dynamic, then she's going to make that work for herself. And I guess everybody's just trying to survive. Yeah. And I think it's, it's not uncommon in these types of dynamics where there's like triangulation that goes on where it was almost like, you know, my, my father could try and pit two people against each other so that he could mean maintain power really in the family. And I think he really did that with my sister and me and always tried to keep that wedge there in a sense that he can have control. And so it's not uncommon. It's something that happens a lot and it's unfortunate, but I can see why the patterns developed, which is something you don't always see when you're a child. Absolutely. And so when all this is happening to you, you're having this verbal and physical abuse how do you feel like when you wake up every day what is that how is that playing out for you as a person yeah I think I was in more of a freeze state for a long time probably just as a self-preservation so either completely shut down and dissociated at times and then more functionally frozen where I would just be on autopilot do go to school 
didn't really pay attention to much. I remember just kind of like coasting by and, and skimming homework and not really doing tests like reading the questions fully. I just wasn't very present. I think that was my survival mechanism to kind of tune down the intensity of the pain that I was feeling. So most of my life, I was in that, that free state. And in that state, you know, your critical thinking isn't always the best. And so I maybe made some poor choices in who I surrounded myself with and ended up with very similar people as, as were in my family dynamics. And so it, it took a long time to realize that I wasn't quite fully capable of having the healthy relationships that I wanted so long as I was in that shutdown state. I had to address that if I wanted to move forward with presence and just safety in my everyday life. Yeah. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because we do tend to get attracted to the people like you say, who are very similar to the people that are abusive as it's just comfortable, like it's familiar to your nervous system. Is that why we do that? Yeah, I mean, it's familiar. So those those things that feel in a way, it's what you know, it's like the devil you know versus the devil you don't know. And then it's also what I, it's been called repetition compulsion where you repeat these relationship dynamics in the hopes that you can change it. If I can fix this person, then I can show that like, I really do have the ability to change these dynamics and I can get what I need from this other person. Maybe I didn't get it from my dad, but I can get it from this relationship that I'm in and then I'll be okay. And I think that's where that comes from. It's this deep desire to just really want to change these dynamics and want a different outcome and to try and create that different outcome. And yeah, we have that immediate attraction for what's familiar. Wow. Yeah. So what age do you see yourself as being chronically unwell? Well, I mean, as a baby, I was in hospital with IVs and things, but it was just chronic infections my whole life. I don't think there was a, a year that went by I wasn't on antibiotics. And then, you know, eventually by the time I was a teenager, I started getting more like autoimmune type issues. And then when I hit my twenties is when things sort of came really crashing down where brain fog, chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, those types of symptoms, and eventually getting the diagnosis of Lyme disease, which is really a collection of symptoms. But at the same time, yeah, it was, it was a consistent part of my life. It just was, you know, my, my family used to just kind of joke about it almost that I always have these weird things that happen to me, but it, a lot of it is a reflection of that downregulated immune response that I had from living in chronic stress and my body not being able to function optimally. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's the story for so many people, isn't it? I mean, I feel like the world right now is just filled with this chronic illness and nobody's really looking at it in this way or not many people, you know, we, go to the doctor, we get a prescription, we go to a specialist, you know, and it's this kind of cycle of trying to figure out how to cure each symptom. And yet nobody's really looking at that trauma that's driving it all. No. And it is, I call it the Western medicine merry-go-round. Like it just feels like an endless parade of diagnoses and doctors. And I've had surgeries and just different really harsh treatments. And then the harsh treatments beget side effects where you're actually becoming almost poisoned by, by the medicine. And so you have these side effects that are on top of what your body's already been having to bear from the stress of the trauma 
And so there's just all these layers that start to add up. Then before you know it, you're in a period of where it's just shut down and, and a lot of chronic illness has become an epidemic, I think, for this reason, because we're not getting to the root cause and the treatments we are using can be somewhat harmful to the body as well. So we're just kind of having these compounded effects, one on top of the other, and not really addressing the root. Yeah, absolutely. And so you have spent all these years chronically unwell, and then running alongside of that is your sister, who is obviously also not coping. And what is happening to her during this time? So she didn't seem to have the chronic illness issues that I had. She did have a traumatic brain injury when she was 11, and that did do something. And so we do know that traumatic brain injury causes inflammation in the brain, and that can mimic a lot of mental health challenges. And it is a significant trauma to experience. And so it wasn't shortly after that where she started experimenting with drugs and I think for the most part for her, she was, she was in her own dissociative state while she was on the drugs and that partying and that drug use never really stopped for her. And it's honestly still continuing. She's, she still struggles with this today. So it, it wasn't being looked at and my parents turned a blind eye to it. And so she never really had any consequences to the behavior, but I think she really desperately needed that structure and someone to be there to say no. And they just were in denial for a very long time, you know, hanging out with the wrong people using these substances and she would get, you know, my parents would buy her a car. They bought her a condo to live in and people would come and live there and she would do drugs with them. And, and that's just sort of how she lived being taken care of by my parents with no consequences. And the result of that has unfortunately been, you know, not being as developed as she could have been. Yeah. That's really hard. It's hard to see those journeys isn't it because you kind of you just need somebody to step in at some point and and try and change that path for somebody and what about when you were in high school what was that like for you high school is very challenging because at one point I was I was overweight and so I had put on weight and I did get bullied a little bit right at the end of middle school so going into high school I was very low self-esteem, very low self-worth. I did end up losing the weight and almost got into some disordered eating as a result of that. And I remember I used to just wear this black sweatshirt, every baggy, baggy clothes and black clothes just to cover myself up all the time. I wanted to disappear. Honestly, I feel like that's how most of my high school experience went was sitting in the back of the classroom, just trying to be, you know, very inconspicuous and blending in and not, I didn't want any attention at all. And just kind of like, let me get through this. I want to get out of here. And I went to a school that was very strict and a college preparatory school, this private school that was very much all about, you know, you have to get the best grades and go to Harvard. And there's a lot of pressure on me. I just didn't, I didn't fit in with that. <laughs> so I didn't respond very well to traditional schooling and that kind of structure. And I always kind of rebelled in my mind through just not paying attention. And I think that's just kind of the theme of my experience as a teenager was how can I just disappear and blend in and get through this so I could get out of the house. Yeah, I, I totally understand that. So those body issues, did they continue past high school? I think there's always, there was always something where it's like the need to look a certain way 
and maintaining control over my body felt powerful. And so I think that stuck with me probably through my 20s. And uh, I think it's a struggle on some level for so many people just with the pressures of society. But in terms of actual eating, disordered eating and things like that, I didn't have that after high school as much as it was more the mentality of I need to look a certain way. And, you know, I, if I get this kind of positive feedback in the way that I look, then I'll feel good about myself. And so that was the big theme of my 20s. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, 100%. And so at what point did you leave home? Yes, yeah, so I was I was 18 when I actually went to college, the same college my sister went to, and the two of us shared an apartment together for the first two years of my schooling. And it was so terrible, <laughs> the experience where she was having all sorts of strange people coming in the house and living there and doing drugs that I decided I needed to leave and transfer schools. And eventually I moved to New York city to get away from it. My parents and my sister in Florida. And so I ended up moving to go to NYU and I never looked back. And I rarely went back home after that point. It was just, once I was gone, I was gone and it was like freedom. Yeah. Wow. That must've been liberating to finally break free of just everything because it, it, it is just so heavy, isn't it? Mm -hmm. When you grow up in that environment and then you sort of continue that when you've left home, it's just wanting to break free of all of it, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And, and having that taste of, it's just like individuating. I get to separate myself and find out who am I outside of this identity that they've all projected onto me of being this, this scapegoat person where, you know, being gaslit all the time. And so you're questioning your reality all the time. Who am I? Am I really a terrible person? They're saying I am just because I'm speaking the truth or pointing out something that's a little bit messed up that's going on. And so when you get out of that environment, you realize, oh, wow, there's a whole world and maybe I'm not crazy. Maybe I'm not the crazy one. And so that's just sort of my journey started there when I moved to New York of just, oh, I can, I can define who I am from this point forward. I don't have to take on their beliefs about who I am. Oh my gosh, it's so true. And it's so confusing, isn't it? Because, you know, when you're in that environment and it just feels like, well, what's real and what's not real, just to be able to escape that it's, ah, I, do, I can just feel myself breathing more easily just thinking about it. So what happens in our early childhood with our immune function and affecting our physical health? What actually is happening to us? Yeah, so our ventral vagal, the, the, the social engagement part of our nervous system, how we feel safe and regulated, isn't online when we're born. That is developed and wired through our experiences with our primary caregivers and our environment, and hopefully our biology that's very nourished and well taken care of so that it can thrive. And when we don't experience that attunement or you know, if our primary caregivers' nervous systems are dysregulated, we will often end up dealing with stress the way they do. And we also will end up potentially shutting down a lot of the time if they aren't able to take care of our needs. So for instance, if you're crying a lot and the parents don't come to tend to you and they're not addressing and, and matching your nervous system state, holding that space, letting you know they're there for you. And it's, you're not doing anything wrong for crying, but just being there and having that attunement. If you don't have that, 
baby's going to shut down and go into an immobilized frozen state to protect itself from that pain. And when we're shut down, now things are, our immune function is affected from that. Our digestion is affected from that. Everything goes into energy conservation mode. And so everything's pretty much slowing down. And then the way that we're supposed to develop over time, different neuronal connections we make in our brain don't quite develop in an organized fashion. So your neurons aren't communicating with each other as smoothly as they could. The right hemisphere and the left hemisphere aren't communicating necessarily in an organized fashion. And when that happens, we have gaps in our development that way. And so it can be harder to have capacity and tolerance for stress. And just the way that we, we tolerate things, it shifts. And that includes our immune function as well. Wow, that's crazy when you just describe that, how much the nervous system affects everything else in our bodies. How important then is it to learn to regulate our nervous system now? I mean, how much can you change all of that that's happened to you by doing new things now? Yeah, it's definitely a process that takes time. I think nervous system work, luckily, I think is becoming more trendy and more well-known, which is fantastic. But you may see certain practices online that make it seem like you just do this kind of simple practice and you should be regulated, but that's not exactly how it works. It's definitely not quick and, and fast and smooth for everybody because that's not how our neurodevelopment happens. We don't come out of the womb running, right? And so in order for things to rewire, it's going to take going through those same developmental stages over again in a way that we can work with what was missing. And that's going to be through attuning to ourselves in a way that our primary caregivers couldn't be there for us, having compassion and releasing a lot of the stored stress that's built up in your physiology so that you can increase your capacity to handle more and develop resilience. Because a lot of this is that we carry all of that stress from shutting down, shutting down, shutting down. Anytime we were overwhelmed, we didn't get to complete those stress responses. And that, that stress is still there in your nervous system. And it has to be gently and slowly released as to not overwhelm the system. And so it's not, you don't necessarily want these big cathartic things, or you hear like people going to have an ayahuasca ceremony or something and try and have like this release and all their traumas healed. That's actually not ideal for the nervous system. You want to do this slowly, releasing the stored stress slowly over time. I love somatic practice for that, nourishing the body with what it's been depleted from because it takes so much energy to be in survival mode and run on stress hormones. So we want to replenish that energy and nutrients. And to gently just continue to respond to yourself differently in a way that you didn't get that attunement before. So it's really a layered process that takes time. And before you know it, it rewires the way that you respond to stress, but it's different for everyone with the timeline. And so I never can put, well, this is how long it takes. It's really, you, you just kind of have to, you see the small little changes every day. And then before you know it, you have more capacity. And I'm always interested because some people have gone through I mean, crazy things in their life. And other people's trauma is quite small in comparison. And yet that person who went through a much smaller experience, well, I say smaller, I'm not trying to diminish it because it, it's relative, but that person's response can be 
much harder to overcome because it's all personal, isn't it, to how we're able to heal ourselves. Yeah, two people could go through the exact same experience and have a completely different response in their physiology. So one person may experience that as a trauma, whereas the other person is totally resilient and fine and walks away just fine. And it really depends on the degree of the threat, but the baseline level of help of a person and the resources available to a person. So having resources, and that can be in the form of people, things, just knowledge, time, money, it really does affect whether or not you can, if you have that support to move through an experience that might be overwhelming, you may not experience it as a trauma. So that's why we can't really say like, there's, there's, there's a spectrum of things, but your biology may react to something that somebody else might not see as a very significant event. But for you, depending on your unique neurobiology, that's how your body responded. Absolutely. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And self-sabotage is an interesting one, isn't it? Can you explain what's actually happening there? Yeah. So when we are self-engaging in self-destructive behaviors, I always like to say you can feel so shameful and discouraged to think, you know, why can't I get it together? But it's not necessarily because you're not trying hard enough or you don't want it badly enough. It's because in your nervous system, you may not feel safe to have what you want. It may not feel like it's okay. Like you said, we can feel familiar things as almost safe. It's, I know this very well, so it feels safe. But if there's something new, even if it's healthy for us, even if it's a positive stress, it's still a stress to our physiology and our nervous system may interpret that as a threat. And so then we go through a stress response and potentially shut down. And when we're shut down, we don't really have our critical thinking skills totally online and our motivation's a little bit lower. And we may engage in repetitive behaviors that might not be so great for us because we don't feel safe. And so that's all sub conscious? Yes, typically. I mean, unless you've been through a lot of therapy and you've made these patterns conscious, for most people, it's a very automatic response in your physiology. And so that's why I love teaching nervous system work, because once you understand your neurobiology, you will be able to feel when you're shifting through different nervous system states. And when you know, okay, I'm starting to feel a little bit more overwhelmed and shut down. Maybe that's not the best time to make big decisions and give yourself some time to come out of that freeze response before making any big choices. But typically those will be the times when we might engage in behaviors that won't be as helpful for us because our prefrontal cortex, our critical thinking, rational mind is not quite fully online at that moment. We have to bring a little bit more safety back in the system to have clear thinking. So those times when we're stuck in 
negative cycles of thinking is that part of our nervous system response I know myself I've gone through stages of just not being able to stop the same thoughts going over and over I know a lot of people really struggle with that Mm -hmm. yeah your thoughts are a reflection of the state of your nervous system so if you're really activated in a fight or flight response so that's your your sympathetic stress response you're going to have some type of thoughts that are going to be different than when you're completely shut down and maybe more numb and disconnected where you're more just kind of feel like numb you just don't have much going on in there you can brain it's like brain fog and you can't really think very clearly at all but when you're more activated you may ruminate and have more obsessive thinking going on because it's you're you're more alert you're on high alert and so things are going to feel more threatening so your thoughts are going to reflect that as well that oh my god i got to take care of all these threats And so you worry, you're worrying about all these things. How can I protect myself? How can I protect myself? And then once we go into shutdown, we feel a little bit more hopeless. We feel more shameful, hopeless, losing motivation. And that's our freeze response that's kicked in saying, okay, well, I can't defend myself. So I'm going to shut down. Yeah. And every single part of that is really us just wanting ourselves to stay safe, isn't it? Yeah. That's our our core need from a tiny baby all the way through. We just want, we just need safety. And so that's what our nervous system is doing, isn't it? It's just trying to keep us safe in all moments. Yeah. Yeah. We, we want these nervous system responses. And so it's not about getting rid of our stress response or, or that shutdown response. They serve a purpose. So your stress response is there to help mobilize you to take action towards things that are threatening or to be able to run away from that bear that's chasing you and fight. And it's also very motivating to just get work done. Right. So we need to be activated to do work. Even like right now and talking to you, I might have more adrenaline going through my system to concentrate. Right. So I want to be present and focused and that can be very helpful. And then shutting down is a reflection of, okay, well, I need to rest. And maybe I've, I've, I've done a little bit too much gone beyond my capacity. My body needs to conserve some energy. And so I'm going to rest. And in a situation where we're, talking about our survival, when we're going into more of those shutdown states, freezing up can actually be like what we see in the animal kingdom. If you're not moving and you're really, really still, then the predator can't see you. So these responses evolved literally to keep you safe from the predator. And so they're there for a reason. So if we can be still, maybe the threat will pass. And it's not a conscious thing. These are automatic things that happen and have been wired evolutionarily to help us. Yeah. And so when somebody is healing in this way through the nervous system, I think a lot of people go to talk therapy and they can find it quite traumatic because you're constantly going over the same stories and, and issues. What's it like actually healing through the nervous system? Is it a karma approach? It can be. It really depends on the person. So with talk therapy, it is going to activate neural pathways in the brain associated with that event you're talking about. So you, you will feel the experience of that event as if it's happening in the present. And without support for your nervous system or with a very skilled and trained therapist, it can be incredibly activating and to the point where you almost leave feeling like a truck ran over you or something. It can be re-traumatized and not feel very safe. And so you want to have someone that's going to be able to guide you through that experience if you are going to choose to do that. When you do incorporate support for the nervous system, it's allowing you to be able to gently release stored stress where you don't necessarily have to talk about an event. 
you can simply just start connecting with your body and your body will speak back when you do that. It just wants to be heard. And oftentimes we spent our life ignoring this pain that we've lived in so well that we're missing the cues our body's been trying to speak to us. And so somatic therapy is really about creating that connection again with your nervous system. And sometimes it's gonna talk back in ways that might feel a little bit uncomfortable, but that's why we do it really slowly. And then eventually as you release this stored stress, it will bring more calm into the system eventually, but everyone is totally different with how they respond. Yeah, and so how important is it to find someone who's trained in trauma when you've been through trauma? It's incredibly important. (laughs) So you want to work with someone who can understand and help you navigate through the different states of your nervous system as you're experiencing them and guide you of how you can support yourself through those states and also know not to push you beyond your window of tolerance. And so that's the other thing is you don't want to, this is a less is more approach. You don't want to just keep pushing somebody and just, you know, if you go beyond someone's capacity, they will shut down. It's not helpful to do that. We want to do just a little bit of going in and exploring and then pulling back and a little bit of exploring and then pulling back and seeing how your body responds. And then That way someone can kind of know and keep you at a certain pace that's tolerable for you. It's about, you know, working within this level of your capacity of where you are. And as you continuously kind of touch the edge of that tolerance and pull back, the edge starts to widen and you develop a little bit more space and then a little bit more room to play a little bit more and to go a little bit deeper. But you have to start and be able to see like, where is this person at and how can I specifically guide them based on what their physiology is telling me? And you've got to know what survival physiology is and what the nervous system is and how it functions in order to do that and how trauma is stored. Absolutely. And so if somebody identifies as an empath, what's the difference between empathy and compassion and why do we identify as an empath? Yeah. So I proudly identified as an empath empath for the majority of my life. And I, I still think I have a lot of empathy for people, but what it was is having a really great sensitivity towards other people's experiences and really absorbing that because that was my way of protecting myself. If I could read people, if I could feel what they were feeling, then I could navigate the situations to make them feel better and fix it. I can fix it and then I'll feel better. And so that's sort of the people pleasing state that I was in. But but my hypervigilance, that was my form of protection is if I could feel that experience, I could be okay. But the problem with that is it's incredibly overwhelming and it puts you beyond your capacity because now not only are you holding all your stored stress, but you're really absorbing everybody else's as well. And there's no release for that. And so compassion, the way I see it as being different, it's holding that space without taking it on. So you're able to hold it, provide a space for someone, but it's not yours and it's not yours to fix either. Yeah, that's really interesting, isn't it? And I think there's so many people identifying as empaths. So are you saying that really when you're an empath, it's really more of a trauma response? I have come to that conclusion. I mean, it's not something that everybody agrees with, but I I often question, are you an empath or did you have a lot of experiences that overwhelmed your nervous system's capacity to cope as a child? And so you're constantly scanning your environment to make sure you're okay. 
And part of that scanning is absorbing this and reading people and taking that on and figuring out how can I survive? Yeah, absolutely. I would agree with that 100% having been there myself. (laughs) Um, Exactly. What's the difference between trauma and stress? Yeah, so stress is going to be when we have that initial something startles us and there's a threat in a situation and we activate and we have that mobilizing response. That's a stress response. So something where we wanna take action. And at the point where we perceive we can't defend or protect ourselves in a situation and we don't have enough energy to move through that stress, now we shut down. And when we shut down, that's survival mode. That's the trauma response is when we go into that shutdown mode. So there's a moment when the stress becomes a trauma and when it's, it's when we're feeling blocked from getting to safety, when we feel helpless and when we shut down. That's the difference there. One is more active and a mobilizing response and one is immobilizing and shut down. Yeah, so if somebody right now is listening to this and saying, oh, this sounds like me, because I, I feel like we all... we're all on a journey and we get to a point where you say, oh, obviously this is a a thing for me. This is a thing with my nervous system. What would you recommend as first steps for people? Yeah, well, I always, the beginning of how I work with anyone, I always encourage everybody, learn the different states of your nervous system and how to track that in your everyday life. Once you understand your patterns of that, you can see what are the things that are maybe contributing to moving more towards that stress response and then the shutdown. What are the things that are happening before you go into that shutdown and how long are you staying in there? And what are the ways in which you think you've been coping with that? How have you been getting by? And can we learn more regulating tools as opposed to just coping with it and getting by? Can we actually help your physiology start releasing that stored stress? But first you have to really start exploring your patterns and understanding where you are and what are the things that are bringing you into these different states of your nervous system and what are the things that actually help bring greater regulation into your system so you can experiment. Oh, this is actually making me feel safe and this is actually very threatening. Yeah. And if somebody is just in this chronic sort of unwellness, it's it's almost like the the trauma isn't something that they're recognizing necessarily you're just sort of constantly unwell you're not really seeing the connection there Mm -hmm. Um, I just wonder how people can start understanding that there is a connection between this constant unwellness and what's going on in their nervous system yeah I I think for me it took it took until I was completely bedridden and I couldn't work and I couldn't do anything and it was really the difference between surviving versus actually becoming alive again and living. And that was a gradual process of understanding what led to my body's breakdown and and realizing everyone gets to this point, I think at different, like different things will bring them to that point of recognizing I have to uncover there's something else when you've tried all the things. So if you're in the space where you've tried all the things, you've gone to all the doctors and you're still not feeling well and you have these chronic symptoms and you can't quite figure it out, you really have to start thinking about what's going on in my physiology in terms of my nervous system. Because if you are in that shutdown state, you can't function optimally with your health because you're not in the ideal state for tissue repair and healing. The state of healing is in that state of safety. And so if you're shut down, we can't repair 
we can't repair any of these things. So we have to bring you back online to get into that place of safety so things can start to repair themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so much inflammation in the body, isn't there, with yeah. with all of that chronic illness. And I think we just end up trying to solve so many issues. Yeah. So you talk then about when you got to the point of being totally bedridden. How did you turn that around? Yeah. I started with just, I didn't entirely know what I was doing at the time. This was over 10 years ago. I was experimenting because I was desperate. I was at the place where I think I was like 80 something pounds. All the treatments I was doing for Lyme disease were failing. I couldn't eat anything. I was allergic to everything. I just didn't really have a great quality of life. And so I remember I was just, I was like, I wonder if I just, you know, I can't really move a lot right now, but what would happen if I just sort of wiggled my toes and try and get a little bit of more blood flow in my system. I was feeling really depressed because living in New York City and I can't go walking around anywhere and it's very depressing. So I was like, okay, but what can I do? What can I do from this bed? I can wiggle my toes. And so I started doing a little movement that way without knowing it, kind of connecting with my body, right? Just saying, hello, I hear you. Instead of punishing you all the time, I'm gonna try and just say hi wiggle my toes. And then I started pumping my feet in bed. And then after that, I would kind of move my arms in bed. And then I would start to walk around the apartment. So getting movement back into my system was very helpful. And then the other thing I did was I started thinking about, okay, I know what wasn't helpful for me. I know the things that made me feel bad, but what does make me feel nourished? And so I remember thinking like, when I take pictures of things I find beautiful, that makes me feel good. So I started focusing on that. And so I would take pictures, a lot of pictures of my cats at the time, (laughs) a lot of pictures of them. And then I started watching documentaries of just all the places I wanted to go in the world that I couldn't. And so I was watching documentaries on Italy and Greece and kind of retraining my brain to start to look for and visualize what could be, what could be possible. And I started getting a little bit more motivation just from that. It was really shifting my focus through getting more movement and connecting with my body. And then from that point, it was just going deeper with that, being able to finally walk outside, getting in nature, which was incredibly co-regulating for me. So there are these resources that we have, like I mentioned, my cats, other people at the time where I couldn't self-regulate, I had resources to help me bring, come back online. And I used that until I could do it on my own. And so sometimes that's where we have to start when we're, we're so ill is we may need other things to outside of ourselves to help bring us back a little bit, a little bit at a time. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And so when did the actual nervous system work come in? Yeah. And so after I started getting more energy, I actually moved. So this was another big thing for me as I recognized the environment around me was not healing. It was not a very nourishing place for my nervous system, honking, ambulance sounds out the window all the time, was constantly keeping my system on high alert. And this is another practice that we go over in somatic work, which is when you start attuning to your environment, you realize how things are affecting you and you really are having these physiological responses we don't always pay attention to. So a key thing for me was moving, getting out of this environment and I moved to California it was sunnier. It just was a healthier choice for me at the time, brought more energy back to the system. And then I could do more of my studies on the biology of trauma. My brain was coming back online. So I started learning more about the nervous system and learning more about this work and implementing practices that way, little by little. And over the years, I've just continued to get education on this. And that's just sort of 
what happened is once I started having more energy, my brain came back online to be able to learn and take this information in and practice it for myself and see that over time it really does work. Yeah, and I like when you talk about your brain coming back online. I remember myself being at a stage where my brain just didn't seem to work at all. I mean, I I couldn't think of things and I couldn't get things to come out of my mouth. Is that part of a freeze response? Yeah, so trauma actually can, and if you've already gone through a period of chronic illness as well, it causes neuroinflammation. And so when we have neuroinflammation, it is hard to think. We do have certain symptoms that we experience where we're not really ourselves. It's very hard to, to put together sentences even and searching for words and things like that, take in and process information it becomes more challenging. And that's not an uncommon thing to experience as a result of trauma. And if you have any challenges in like your gut, any, I know that's a very common thing that people deal with where you're, you're not able to tolerate a lot of things, or there can be digestive troubles that you go through, but there's a strong connection between the gut and the brain as well. And if your gut is inflamed, your brain is inflamed. It's sending signals to your brain all the time via the vagus nerve. And so that's why it's so important. We want to have that connection with the vagus nerve be nice and optimal. And we want to have the inflammation you know, taken care of and, and calmed down so that we can come back online and be clear. Yeah. And so you went from chronically bedridden. When do you, how long did, did it take you to get to a point where you would have classified yourself as, you know, quite functional in the world? Yeah, I'd say a year, a year between bedridden to climbing up mountains and hiking in Los Angeles. Like, so yeah, it took time. It was a very slow, but steady progression. And then once I was there, it was just knowing so clearly how these things affected me and having this connection with my body made me very aware of what I did want to accept and not accept into my life anymore. And so having those boundaries is what enabled me to keep going. I did have some stumbles along the way where I was living in some environments that had some toxic mold in it. And so that's another big thing I think a lot of people deal with where, you know, when I moved, I was doing great. And I moved to an apartment that maybe wasn't so great. And I would get certain symptoms coming back and our environment does affect us still. So it's not all in your head and it's not all, you know, you might be doing everything perfectly, but we have to have the mind, the body, and the environment be very nourishing in order to have that nervous system feel like it's safe. Otherwise, it's picking up cues of danger. So I experienced that. And then once I got out of that environment, it comes back. It's not like a permanent thing, but it it is a combination of factors of making sure everything is fully nourished. Yeah, absolutely. And so what is your relationship like now with your family? Well, my mother passed away a couple of years ago, but before she passed away, I would say the last few years of her life, we would have conversations about how I felt and what happened. And she was very sorry about it. And I had forgiven her. And so there was a period, I'd say in my twenties, I was very angry with my mother. I had a lot of anger towards her and she understood why. And I think over the years, she became more receptive to understanding why that was there. And she felt very sorry for it. And so we had a great relationship and I adored my mother. So it was sad to lose her. And my father, you know, when he, when my mother passed away, he kind of shifted a little bit too. I think it made him aware of the choices that he made. And he got to see firsthand dealing with my sister, like became very clear to him that there were problems there. 
And that was something that he hadn't seen before because my mother was dealing with it. He completely turned a blind eye. And so that has shifted our relationship. I think he sees what he did wrong and he has apologized. And I think he regrets, he regrets the way he behaved when I was younger. And so it's not perfect. I still have mixed feelings because there's still that part of me that's trying to work through the grief of what I didn't have. But I'd say that, you know, it's the best it has been. So I'm grateful for that. We're, we're working on a functional relationship. Yeah. And that's a beautiful thing. And I guess when we do get to this point in our lives, we, we can see so clearly that the trauma has been passed down and that it's just been this unconscious kind of life, hasn't it, for parents and grandparents. They're just doing things exactly as they have been always done and nobody's really looking at it. Nobody really knows how to deal with it. And it's not a way to excuse it, but it's just a way to understand that now we have so much information. You know, if we were maybe born 50 years ago we would have been in exactly the same place I guess it's just having yeah. that little bit of understanding too it's not excusing horrific kinds of behavior because I know a lot of people are going through really horrible things but mm -hmm. there is that sort of level of understanding that it, it was passed down to our parents our grandparents yeah I think I've gotten to the place where it cost it costs so much energy to have to hold on to anger and hate and just feeling like you need to have revenge or something like that because the trauma resolution isn't about revenge it's about completion in your own physiology allowing your nervous system to release what's being stored and that's not something that's your parent is going to give you that has to come from within you and hopefully as a side effect you'll be able to have some acceptance of what you choose to have as a relationship with them or not and for me it has been incredibly freeing to be able to move forward into a different phase it's not going to replace or take away what happened but I can move forward feeling like I'm not carrying the load anymore yeah and that's a beautiful thing <laughs> Jamie I know you have some great ways that you're helping people to learn about resetting their nervous system can you tell us about what you're offering and where we can find you yeah so the nervous system reset is my signature program and it's a real holistic approach to rewiring the nervous system that incorporates developing somatic safety first. So we go through somatic practices, you learn the different states of your nervous system, how to track that. And then we go into understanding how trauma is stored in the body and how memories are stored in the body and stuck stress, what happens to it, how, how does that happen? And then I go into some holistic health education because that was such a huge part of my journey. And because for those of us who have gone through these experiences, we just need more nourishment on that level. And then there's a brain retraining aspect to it. So how can we repair our limbic system, which is our emotional brain and help rewire these neural pathways that have been set that get fired off over and over again so quickly so that we're triggered so that there are ways that we can actually shift that and shift how our brain responds. So we look at that as well. And so that program, it runs a couple of times a year and I have two options for that. There's a live coaching aspect where you get the training where there's, there's just a ton of information in there. And so it goes over nine weeks and 
even then it's, you have lifetime access so you can keep going back to it, but it's a lot of information. And so you can have the option to work doing live calls with me during that process, or you can do it on your own as a self-paced version and just kind of take it, you know, how you want to go at your own pace. But right now we're enrolling for the fall and uh, yeah, that's just the, the main way that I work with people one-to-one right now. And so where can we find you? Where can people look you up? Yeah, I'm predominantly on Instagram at my integrative therapist. And I do also, I just started a Pinterest. I know that's not a place that a lot of people are, but I just started on there. And so it links to some blogs and things so that people can get some more free resources. And yeah, I'm rebuilding my website as we speak, but the main place to find me is on, on Instagram at my integrative therapist. Okay. Well, I'll put all of those details in the show notes and I think it sounds like everybody that's been through trauma actually needs to do this course. It sounds amazing. <laughs> like I I know myself when I figured out how much the nervous system plays a role in everything that's going on, it changed. I was just like blown away when I started reading this stuff. So have a look at what Jamie is doing because it could really, really change your life, I believe. Jamie, thank you so much for sharing your story with me today and all of your wisdom around the nervous system. It's something that so many people are not connecting the dots with and this information has been really invaluable today. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It was great chatting with you. Thank you for being on this journey of healing and community with me. If you listen on Apple, I would love it if you could take a moment to post a review for the podcast. It would mean a lot. Check the show notes for all links recommended in this episode. If you're on Instagram, follow me at my big love project and please share this episode with someone you know needs to hear it. Thank you for joining me. You are such an incredible soul because you are you. You are unique. Your journey is unique and you can absolutely change the world with your story. Your time is precious and I so appreciate you being here. Thanks for joining me. I'll catch you next week. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.